I have to say my name is Zeba Hassan. Um, in this particular moment, I am a frazzled mother um, that has random sick kids at home and trying to work and with snow days and COVID and all that good stuff, like all other moms having to, to, to hold multiple um, roles. Um, I'm a mompreneur and I really consider myself, people hate that word, but for me, I love it because I always want to put being a mother first. And that's kind of what I um, enjoy about about starting your own businesses is that you really can go with um, your heart. You're, like I'm very heart centered and you can kind of go with that. And honestly, my family is the good and the bad. Let's just be real. Nobody's family is perfect, but my family is the, the centerpiece of my um, entire way of living and being. And um, entrepreneurship is kind of the way for me um, in order not have balance, but have alignment with everything that I, uh, everything that I love and I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. I love that about you. And, um, I know we share a lot of interests mm -hmm. and most recently, um, the, your work has evolved to doing some family coaching. Can you mm -hmm. tell us more about that? So, um, I, I always think it's interesting. I was one of those, like I, I I'm an accidental, person. And I say that because what my plan, everyone has a plan, right? When I grow up, I'm going to be X and Y and Z. And I always say, God has another plan. <laughs> so my first plan was I was actually going to be a doctor, believe it or not. And, um, I was pre-med, uh, how I got derailed from that. I always joke is that I met my husband. I love him to death, still together at 18, fell in love. Like, like that's kind of a story. I still went to school. I still did all those types of things. Um, but after uh, getting married at 20, and I think that's another thing that you and I share in common, getting married very early and having kids early, I had, um, graduated at a time where I was offered a job because I had to pay for my own college. And it was just like, I need a break. I've been going to school full-time, working full-time, being a wife full-time. I just need a break. And by the way, working full-time, just doing that was a break for me, right? Because it was like one thing I could be focused on. And they were paying me a whole lot of money to plan events <laughs> for a large bank in Chicago. And um, I always joke, and my son knows this, so I, I've shared this before, but a sinus infection caused my first pregnancy. So I had deferred med school because um, I was like, oh, for two years, I'll work, I'll save money, I'll do all those types of things, I'll get a mental break because um, we got married so young that I didn't necessarily want to have kids right away. But again, God had other plans. By the time I figured it out and and went to the doctor, my baby had arms and legs. Um, and they're like, you are very much pregnant. And, you know, it was just one of those things that I life in that moment changed in a very dramatic, dramatic way. Cause I was at a fork, right? Like I was, I thought I was going to go down one path, but when I heard his heartbeat, I saw his little arms and legs. Um, nobody told me that uh, oxygen, what is it called when you take the antibiotics? I was on a six week antibiotic. It negates birth control. I was 23 years old. Nobody told me that. Um, and all of a sudden I'm eight, literally eight weeks pregnant by the time I figured it out. Um, cause I'd never been regular and he was born and that kind of, he literally saved my life. And I say that in, in a way, because I am a child of trauma. Um, I, 
like, you know, I haven't shared all of that, but I'm constantly a work in progress and, and seeing this little being being placed in my arms. It was the first time that I felt I had something bigger than myself to look forward to. Cause at that point I was just in survival mode to be very honest with you. Um, and I decided to, to start my quest, um, in, in, in motherhood. And I've always embraced motherhood as something that I take very seriously because it wasn't, I didn't necessarily have that same relationship with my mother and I wanted to be that soft landing for my children. So in that quest and trying to always have them be at home, I've kind of evolved into this like Jane of all trades or Zeba of all trades, you know, to, to, to non-anglicize it and, um, decided to, you know, do a whole bunch of different things and, and, and lead with passion and purpose versus monetary. And I feel like when you lead with passion and purpose, the money comes. And I know that sounds bad. And I recognize that I'm at a point in privilege that I was married. My husband at that point was, you know, doing well in his career. So I had the opportunity to be able to test some of these things out, but really at the core was always, I wanted to be a mom first and everything else second. Mm. That basically changed your whole trajectory and of life. Parents, I hear some people, uh, you know, talk about parenting as a, as a spiritual pathway. And I, I know that that is one of your driving factors. It really is. So all along, I, I know that you've been building your skills and like you said, practicing with your own family, and now you're ready to share this with the world. And you have yes. been all along, but exactly. even in a more focused way. And, so- and, and I joke how I, I created a PhD in parenting and mothering, because it is something that I feel like we as mo- mothers, spe- very specifically, we minimize our impact um, on the one, the world to our children, because even just changing one child's life in, in, Again, I'm not saying my kids are perfect because trust me, they are not. But what I do, what I do say, and what I can say is that they're perfectly imperfect and they know that I will always have their back, even if I don't agree with what they're doing. So that is kind of in my approach to help my own family. Um, and for me to kind of stop the generational trauma, which had happened to me from passing along to my other, I developed a method that when I would work with other families, I realized, wait a second, there might be something to this. And there might be something to um, sharing my experiences, good and bad, because I'm extremely honest and blunt, that it's not always this you know, rainbows and unicorns. Um, and I started to, uh, you know, I got my, my certification in um, mediation and spiritual um, conflict resolution and mediation. I have my, um, my certification in parent coaching. I have my master's in, um, in, sorry, I'm sorry, this, I've been up since four o'clock in the morning. So my brain at this point of the day starts to go down. And my daughter keeps texting me that now she's coughing. Um, she's at home with COVID. Uh, so I'm, it's getting distracting on the screen, but, and, and I have my master's in, um, 
and spiritual mediation, because it's just one of those things where I feel like within families coming from that spiritual place and heart focus, you really can get to the bottom of a lot of things. Um, a lot of issues within a family and can kind of, um, fix yourself and fix your family from a very heart focused position. If that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, really it all boils down to relationship, right? Yes, exactly. Connected at a heart level. Um, for me, I think I was blessed to be exposed to gentle parenting practices Mm -hmm. and I found nonviolent communication and restorative practices. Yes. And, and I realized going into the first workshop that it really wasn't about speaking nicely to my children to get them to comply. It was all about the inner dialogue I had within myself as a parent in those moments when I was triggered or doubtful or frustrated. Yes. And to, to really manage my emotional self before I even opened my mouth. (laughs) Exactly. A lot of work goes on internally before you even say anything. So I always say practicing the pause Mm -hmm. is okay. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, I love that healing trauma, like within your own family is, is one of the, you know, motivators. And I think that being real and authentic, which you always are, because I know you have a podcast and you share, you know, deeply in a way that impacts a lot of families. And especially, I think I was listening to one of your episodes recently about recognizing the fact that your children have been raised in a whole generation of like post 9-11 and how that impacts Mm -hmm. their identity as Muslim American children. I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of our kids are unfortunate. Like I always say, I'm an American Muslim mother. Um, I'm very much American. I'm a biracial. That's another one of my trans sectionalities. My mother is um, of Irish descent, um, third, second or third generation though. You know, it depends on who you ask, to be honest with you. Um, and my dad is from Pakistan. And of course, as it is, I kind of felt like I had my um, feet in two different worlds. Cause we were kind of biracial. I'm a lot older than a lot of people probably that are going to be listening. And, um, we were kind of biracial before that was really a thing. Right. And so, you know, I grew up with a certain mindset and trying to, you know, being very, very much strongly Muslim American or American Muslim. And, you know, September 11th happened and I had my first, my oldest son shortly afterwards. And of course we have for American Muslims that live here in the States, we have that pre nine 11 experience and our post nine 11 experience. And it's very different. And nobody's saying that it's perfect. It wasn't perfect before. So I'm not one of these people that are like, you know, with rose colored glasses thinking like it was America was so amazing before, but it definitely, um, was heightened, um, after September 11th. And, you know, I was, uh, I think I shared, this is probably the episode that you were talking about. I was sharing about, um, my son's college essay that I happened to find in the printer and I was reading it and it literally brought me to tears because the, the first line was, I grew up in the shadow of the fallen towers. And this is a child. I mean, I still get goosebumps when I, when I even say it out loud and I never thought about how much 
it impacted them because really we're in a bubble. We're in um, a very pretty affluent area in the DMV, um, the DC Metro um, area. My son is like captain of the basketball team. He's, you know, all, all these things like you never would have thought he felt like he was an other or he was otherized. And as I was reading his experience, um, I realized he really truly had no idea what it was like to be an American Muslim before all of this. Cause these kids are, are being, uh, it's almost like this albatross around their, their neck. They're, they're being penalized, whether we want to admit it or not for events that happened before they were even born. So these kids that grew, grew up in this post nine 11, a world never knew an America where you can go and greet somebody at um, a gate at the, at the airport. Right. Or you didn't, you didn't have to like be strip searched, which unfortunately, if you're a Muslim male, um, regardless of age, if you look like a man, you are at, at, at some point. And that was kind of, for me, the, the motivating factor in founding and starting my, my podcast, uh, momming while Muslim, because I recognize that these kids carried this burden and we, as moms didn't necessarily have the tools to help them deal with that because we didn't have that same life experience that they had. Um, and, and honestly, in trying to find the quest and resources to kind of help myself, because I was very selfishly motivated, I realized that there was a pocket of um, the popu population that um, would benefit from it. And so Uzma, who's my partner, and I was like, you know what, we got to take this and take it to the national level, because the reality is even our allies don't quite understand what it's like um, to be mothers of these children um, that are carrying the weight of the world on them. Oh, yeah. I don't think I realized how much 9-11 impacted me until, I don't know. I mean, I think it was probably three or four years when I actually had the realization um, because I was active like you in interfaith work and making connections. And because I have that, I am, you know, my family is immigrant, but not the Muslim background. Right. Um, but, gr you know, growing two young men and one named Muhammad. Yes. <laughs> like you just think about it and in public wearing a headscarf and, you know, um, presenting in public as a Muslim, you just have a different experience. And so I am really curious about how, your spiritual studies and your mediation training and how that actually fits in. Cause I have a sense that like you want to bring peace to the world and you want people to be healed and to feel safe and to actualize themselves. And yes. you know, not only for Muslim families, but for all families, for yeah, for all people. Exactly. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I do a lot of interfaith, like you said, um, interfaith uh, mediation as well. And that's, uh, that's a big thing for me com coming from two different backgrounds. My mom's family was Catholic and my dad's family was Muslim, but I always joke that I was born Muslim, but I've actually chosen to be Muslim because I've, I've read the Bhagavad Gita. I've read the Torah. I've read the Bible. I've read the Quran and really at its core, even in, in the Buddhist faith, right at its core, the core fundamental principles of all religions and of all 
all backgrounds is very much the same. Um, it's almost like we're all this tree. Like, I think that that's why they have those interfaith threes. Like our, our, our core, our trunk is the same, but we have different branches and, and we need the branches and we need the leaves. We need all of that. And, you know, in Islam, we definitely have a concept that, you know, I created, I created these these um these villages these tribes so that you guys could all know each other god knew that this was going to happen he did not necessarily want us to be using it as 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 a mode of a disagreement so for, from that particular perspective i'm very much um a believer in and in spirituality and internal spirituality regardless of faith so that's the one thing i just happen to identify as muslim and um and muslim really if you actually want to know what the word is, it means to submit yourself to God. That's literally what Muslim means. And so, and I feel that way. And I feel like God has um, had me go through a certain amount of experiences, some that are, you know, pretty tragic, um, to, to be honest with you, so that I can have that empathy to help somebody who's going through similar things. And, you know, I can look back at it and I can say, oh, that sucks. And woe is me or this and that, but I'd never been that way. And, and part of the reason is specifically because I had that faith that something, there was a reason why I was going through that. And every single thing that has happened in my world, I'm not kidding from, you know, having my husband losing his job post 9-11 and us moving to DC. And I mean, I mean, these are not necessarily things that you can look back on and think that these are positive things, but they've all put me on this journey to be exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. And part of what I want to do with Emerge, which is my, my new business, um, and obviously still very much involved in the podcast, is to create the space, not to go on Instagram and Facebook, be like, you have to do this so that you can live my life. No, because I don't believe that. I believe everybody is meant to be on their own path. And sometimes you have to be introspective in order to get there. And we don't necessarily have the tools to do that because um, we weren't taught the tools. And, you know, as you know, coaching is very much uh, different than therapy because the therapy kind of teaches you the why, but it doesn't necessarily teach you the how. And the, the beauty of coaching is that it really does give you these tangible tools to have in your little toolbox to kind of get you to that next level. And it's not always you know, I don't always wake up and I'm in this fabulous, like ask my husband, I came home and I was in a grumpy mood last night, but I, I can in the moment recognize because I have these tools in my toolbox. This is not about him. This is definitely something about me. And, you know, through prayer and media and meditation, I can kind of be like, okay, this is why I'm feeling this way. Okay. Let me shake it up and move on. And as a result of that, your family unit is just a little bit more peaceful, not because I'm this amazing person, but because I have the tools in my toolbox to be like, okay, I'm being not the nicest person right now. So let me do this so that I can put a different face on for my children. Yeah. Like raising, raising your children with conscious awareness about yes. it's like, they may stimulate or our partners may stimulate some frustrating feelings in us, but yes. they're not the cause of them. They're not the right? it's, it's usually from something else. Like he was literally text. I mean, I'm sharing too much and he's going to get so annoyed, but he was texting me about like, 
oh, don't forget to get the salt or something. Cause it's, there's another snowstorm coming. And I had already done that. It was in my car. It was, it, I was annoyed with him because it was triggering this um, belief in myself that I can't necessarily get it done. Right. And mm-hmm. I was like, of course I can get it done. Like, why are you bothering me? And the poor guy was just like, just so you know, it's going to snow tomorrow. We don't want, and he was just like, all I was doing is telling you to drive safely and to get the, the salt on the way home. Um, cause he was at home sick, unfortunately. So you're right. It usually these emotions is what to put in motion. That's really what it is. And it can, you can put in motion something positive. You can put in motion something negative, but what you really need to do is acknowledge the emotion, be introspective about it, and then figure out how it's going to come back into the world. Because literally what emotions are is to, to create this concept of, I need to do something. Yeah. You just have to figure out what it is that you have to do. That's right. And in that moment, when you see the text, you're at a choice point of saying, I get to choose how to respond instead of react. Exactly. I mean, I think that coaching is amazing in that way. And, and even if families need to spend some time in therapy as well to kind of like heal and to be able to learn some of those basic skills of emotional regulation and to even naming and to identifying exactly. what feelings are name it to tame it right like that's a huge thing in the in the coaching and therapeutic world because mm-hmm. if you don't know what you're feeling why you're feeling it you can't really put in motion an action plan to help you get through those feelings mm. yeah so as we shift into 2022 um like what are your dreams what are you hopeful about honestly um I think with everybody we're I'm hoping that we can get like some kind of semblance of normalcy again right like that I think is everybody's dream come true um and from a mom perspective my son is applying to colleges and you know he's definitely going through this like one minute he's like, God, I can't wait to get out of here. And the next minute he's like, oh my God, I need a gap year. You know, like, you know, so you're on this roller coaster ride. So of course I want um, all my kids to, to ultimately be happy and healthy. But for me personally, I am creating, I feel like this movement um, with Emerge and essentially what I'm doing is, it, you know, most coaches are, have like this one philosophy. I'm not into that. I'm into like embracing other women and, and their resources because why recreate the wheel when you know somebody can do it better than you. And this is me saying, I don't have the answers for everything, but guess what? I know somebody that can help you. Um, and that's kind of the, the appeal of Emerge um, for me. And it was something, it was like my brainchild for the last year. And I was just kind of like, I, I need a place. It's almost like a prescription. Cause it's not that when you come to a coach, you at least for people that are highly traumatized or coming from that, that trauma-based um, place, a lot of our clientele really are, we're working in conjunction with therapy and therapists. Well, that's the number one thing I, I would like to say, because we're not to replace therapy. So I want people to know that, but what we are to do is we are just one more tool in your toolbox. And, and part of what I've done is create this amazing team of women. And, you know, there are, we have different 
tiers because we literally have a specialist for everything. And part of our appeal is to kind of create this prescription program. And I'm literally calling it a coach RX. And what we do is have a in thorough intake. We do a lot of, you know, we work with psychologists, we do all of that. And then based on the needs, it's almost like a needs assessment. We plan out um, a plan of action for you. And it's not necessarily with one person. It's with a multitude of people, because sometimes you might come to coaching, like maybe someone's coming to me and they, they want, they think they need a pair, a positive discipline coach. We have somebody for that. And, but then you find out in their intake, guess what? They have had their own trauma. They are responding to their child in, in a way that um, is a trigger for them. And they don't recognize that um, they're using food was my issue, uh, you know, as a way to kind of hide some of those feelings. How do we break those patterns? And then you realize that your need um, is a little bit more deeper than just, I want to, I, I, the one, two, three magic, I think that was back in my day, um, isn't working. Why isn't it working? right? That's what we're here to kind of help you with in conjunction with therapy, because I'm a big believer in therapy as well. My, my, I'm in therapy, my family's in therapy, we're, we all need it on a day to day basis. And then you work with the coaches to kind of figure out, okay, this is what I discovered. These are tangible things that I can do to kind of help get me through that. And then my hopes is you get to a point where even if old patterns start to come up or start to um, reemerge, you can kind of be like, wait a second, I can do X and Y and Z and get that back um, in control. So that's ultimately what my goal and hope is for Emerge. And of course, to kind of um, provide an outlet for everybody and including, by the way, empowering women that um, are working with me. And I, I say with me, not for me, because really the truth of the matter is everybody is coming to this you know, and their own sense of emergence on some, on some level. And part of what I would, I love doing is being able to see the big picture and seeing it, how, how it all goes together. So that's the beauty for me and my hopes for the it. year. Cause I just randomly talk and I forget the question, because like I said to you earlier, I have ADHD and then I start wandering off and I have to get focused again. <laughs> no, it was great. I, I love that you talked about the holistic, it sounds like there's a team really, mm -hmm. and the intake is so important. And then yeah. not having a preset recipe of yes. how you're going to quickly fix the situation for a family, but really taking people on an individual basis, yes, looking at what they need, and then having a team of support. And, you know, through my work as a body worker, as a massage yes. therapist, and then bringing on the coaching skills and yes. Um, you know, now I'm doing the chaplaincy work. It's like, I try to work with people on a spiritual, physical, yes. and emotional level. Yes. And it sounds like a lot of your work um, really is like parallel to that. It so. is because it's, it's, it's really working from the inside out, right? Like it's not just a one, you know, if you don't, you, you can treat the symptoms. Sure. That works. But if you don't actually treat the cause it's going to keep coming up. You're going to start developing like, yes, like, so that's why that you have the concept of yo-yo dieters and da, 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 da. yes, because you can treat the symptoms. I'm going to be on a 1200 calorie diet, blah, blah, blah. But if you don't treat the reason why you got to that place to begin with, it's just going to happen again. Or same thing with your kids. Like maybe I can have a great week where I'm not yelling or screaming or whatever, 
but guess what? If I don't fix that, the cause of that, like, why am I responding to them in this way? What is it about them that's triggering me? Guess what? It's going to happen again until you actually fix the core problem it's going to continue happening. And so that's really what it sounds like what you do. Cause we have some, we call them spiritual modalities, um, modality. Cause we have people that are hands on spiritual workers as well. Um, that is my goal is to have different offices in different places because that hands on touch, I think is very, very important, important, whether it's massage, whether it's acupuncture, whether it's energy healing. Um, a lot of people just kind of joke you know, they're like, oh, this is kind of hokey, but I'm telling you it works in a way that you just have no idea about. And it needs to work in conjunction with all of the emotional work that you're putting forth too. Definitely the integrated healthcare model, including mental health. And now, I mean, I know that we both have learned about how trauma impacts the body and the hormones and all of that. And it seems like in the last 10 years, there's been a big focus on the somatic, you know, so many great books, so many great lectures that people can learn about. And um, it's wonderful to have someone with you that walks your path with you. Yeah, They don't lead you, like you were saying, you don't have an agenda about how they're going to um, go through their healing and growth process, but to have someone accompany you um, and help you stay motivated. <laughs> yeah. Cause we all lose it. Like even myself, like I got up this morning, I always do yoga as soon as I wake up in the day. Right. And I, I, I pray, I meditate, I do yoga. And then I start making lunches for the kids and breakfast. And there are some mornings you wake up and guess what? You don't want to do it. But then you realize by one, two, three o'clock in the afternoon, like, why the heck did I not just take that 20, 30 minutes for myself? Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then you end up doing it. And my cat is my, she, I love her to death. She literally will come. She knows her drill. I feed her. And then she goes and sits by the yoga area and then she will come down because she knows this is our routine. And I saw her on the yoga mat and I was like, is she telling me that I'm supposed to be doing yoga right now? Okay. Let me just do it. And you always feel so much better when you just get it done, you know, and that's part of, you know, this works for you. And again, it's, it's not a prescription that works for everybody, but I need the prayer, meditation, yoga every morning tea is secondary, you know, and I can function better in the day when I have those things. Mm -hmm. I love that you identify what's working for you. Would you be willing to share a little bit more about the tiny joys in your life and how you stay grounded, especially I'm so curious about some of the things you've learned in your spiritual training. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I was one of these people and I'm just going to be blunt that if you had met me even six years ago, I was like yoga, crap, meditation. What are you talking about? Like, and honestly, I prayed for the sake of praying. And that's a huge thing. I prayed because I'm like, I got to pray, whatever. But really I was trying to get it done as fast as possible. And by the way, this is, you know, we have a ritualistic prayer in the Muslim faith. So this can be anything, whether you're praying, just be like, oh God, help me. And I was just praying to get it done and over with. And I, and I fully admit that. Um, and I realized 
I felt empty. And I think that that's something that a lot of people feel when they start their spiritual journey. And it was so weird because I would have random people, random people from all walks of life be like, oh, you should think about meditation. Oh, you should think about yoga. Oh, you, and that'd be like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Get in the car and be like, whatever. Like, why do you keep saying this? This is ridiculous. And then I was finding that I was having a lot of conflict within my own personal relationships. Like, and I, and at one point you had to sit down and you have to think, what is the common denominator? It's me. <laughs> and, and that revelation of wow, not this person is not a, uh, what is it about me in this stage of my life right now? That's making me respond and react in that way. And I just started this journey again. Um, and I do, like I said, I I've done interfaith work and in that interfaith, of course you want to be educated and informed and all that. But, and I realized I was, and I, and I'm admitting it here to you, I was preaching but I wasn't necessarily practicing what I was preaching. And I've always prided myself on being an authentic person, or at least I perceived myself as being an authentic person. And I wasn't feeling that authenticity. And I, and I realize now with all my studies and all my things, I'm looking back, I wasn't in alignment. And you know, people always talk about this concept of balance. There's no balance. I, I don't believe in balance, but I do feel that at any stage and like, if you it's mind, body, and soul. And I believe that if those three things are in alignment, sometimes your body needs a little bit more. Sometimes your soul needs a little bit more. Sometimes your mind, it needs a little bit more. They are not all going to be balanced at one time, but if they're in alignment to you, that is your best way of living. And I realized I had to go on a quest to, to, to get the knowledge that I needed because I was getting these notes from the universe. I wasn't practicing them, but I recognized I was missing something. And in my quest of finding what was missing, I started this journey. And I've got to tell you, it's been a, a a very long journey, you know, because I went back and I, I did a lot of like, let me go back and start study Judaism. Let me go back and study Buddhism. Like, what is it that I'm missing? Cause I always fundamentally felt that Islam was the religion for me, but I was like, is Islam the religion for me? Because that was what I was born with, or is Islam the religion for me? Because it made sense. And I really started to question my own faith. I was a mom fully grown adult. And I'm sitting here questioning my faith. And I'm like, shouldn't I have gone through this? Like in my teens and in my twenties? No, I was going through this in my early to mid thirties. And I recognized there was a reason for that. And I feel like that now God, however, God manifests itself to you was putting me on a path of knowledge. And started to study. I started to like, I, I went to um, Harvard business. I went to Harvard's uh, mediation school, meditation, not meditation, mediation school, and started thinking like, maybe let me start doing this interfaith. So let's just start reading about these things. So I started doing comparative religion and doing all that. And, and by the way, without a thought that it was going to lead anywhere. And I started doing these random things that now six years later, I am literally using every single bit of that knowledge in a way that is so transformative to me. Um, 
that it's unbelievable. And I, and I really just like, like want to share that with people. I'm like, did you know, blah, blah, blah. And part of that study was the biological effects of meditation. It's literally biology. And, and of course now even mains quote unquote mainstream doctors are advising meditation, um, you know, quietness and at a time where we desperately need it, granted COVID was not a thing back then. In this quest of trying to heal myself, I had traumatic background. And honestly, I was so busy being a mom that I didn't have the opportunity to actually heal. I thought I did because, you know, I can compartmentalize, but I recognize as my daughter specifically, I have one daughter started getting older I started to see a little bit of myself in her and some of the trauma that started happening. And I realized that that was the trigger. I started to see that in her and I wanted to protect her and I didn't know how. And in, in, in healing myself, I was able to, to provide her a path to, by the way, be her own advocate. She doesn't need anybody to save her. Right. But if she's empowered, if she's put in a, a situation where, you know, she doesn't feel comfortable, guess what? She has the right to say no. And that was never taught to me. And I recognize that her growing up was my, my trigger. And she started to come of age between that nine and 10 year old. And I realized that was the, the, the main motive. It was my, my son, the birth of my son that shocked me into a love that I couldn't imagine, but it was my daughter, um, starting this pre pubescent period in her life. Try saying that three times fast that I recognized that I was starting to feel some sort of kind of way. Cause I saw her growing up and I started to remember myself at that age. And I realized if I didn't actually heal the trauma within myself, I could pray all day. I could meditate all day. I can do yoga all day, but it wouldn't have any impact in me. And that's really what started that, um, that journey. Um, and by the way, that journey, guess what? I was starting to deal with therapy, but, but guess what I was doing, Kristen, I was eating my emotions. I started gaining weight. I said, this, this is where like all these things, the alignment piece, then all of a sudden I'm fine. I'm, I'm healing fine. I'm doing well. But then all of a sudden I'm like, I am like 60 pounds heavier than I was because I was eating my emotions. Then I had to start ta tackling that. So this is definitely like a work in progress and something that we, like I had to keep doing. And I essentially applied this emerge principle to myself for the last two years. And I'm like, if I can come out of this from a very dark place, my hopes is I can help somebody else do that as well. Mm. Amazing. I mean, I love hearing, and it seems like there's a pattern that actually yeah. does emerge for a lot of women. Yeah. This midlife, yes. kind of like renewal, where renewal. It's a renewal, not a crisis. It's right. a renewal. And I love yeah. that you're saying that because that's literally what I tell people. Mm -hmm. And, and what you were saying about learning how to befriend, befriend yourself and to uh, give yourself. Um, the compassion and the presence that you wished you had during those difficult moments in childhood, and then not repeating those patterns with your own children. Yes. Or ca catching yourself. Like yes. when you start to go down that path, recognizing so that you can make a different choice. And I have to tell you, I think that your children, my children, and all the kids benefit from. They really from do. And I'm glad they're teaching it in schools. 
you're starting to really bring it into the curriculum. And I love that you say emergent because really, I think the goal of education at a fundamental level is some of these basic life skills that we are, you know, filling our toolbox with. Yeah. We never had the chance to learn when we were younger. And I think our society is evolving. And yes, I mean, and I love that fast enough. (laughs) Exactly. And and that's the thing is like this, I'm going to share this story with you. And I think it's so funny because this is perfect because it's one of those things that sounds like we have very similar parents. Um, my kids like each have a meditation pillow that you should like it's all it's one of those things my youngest son love him to death he's about to turn nine he is full of emotion full the good the bad the ugly the amazing like he and I tell him all the time I love your big feelings like I never want that to go away but not everybody wants all of your big feelings at all the time and he will give himself literally a journaling break, a meditation break. We actually use the Subber app, which it happens to be a Muslim um, meditation app. You can use any meditation app. And he will say, mama, I need to do meditations because I feel my big feelings coming. And that to me is like the biggest thing that I could pass along to my kids that you can self-regulate because that is not necessarily something that we are to, I know for me, I wasn't allowed to have feelings that my parents didn't want me to have. Right. And the fact that one, you can have the feelings, I respect your feelings, but not everybody wants to hear your feelings 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So what can we do about it? And so that to me is a mommy win, not that, you know, my kids are getting straight A's or in the, this call it, which of course, those are all great things, right? Those are icing on the cake, but can you regulate your feelings? Can you come to me when you're at your lowest, right? That's huge for parents. And even if you're not sure, so sure of how I'll respond, you know, at the end of the day, I will still have your back. There will be consequences. Let me tell you that. But I will have your back and I won't speak to you in anger. And that comes from this spiritual place that the world is bigger than we're, we're just a small part in the world and the world is bigger than who we are. Like it's, you're, you get so caught up in the moment, right? Like this is such a big deal. This, when you take a step back and allow yourself to pause, you recognize maybe it isn't. And in my silence, I can get caught up and get regulated and then be able to tell my kid or my, my kids something, um, that is positive versus having that reactive negative. Cause we're, sometimes we're thinking it, let's be real, but mm-hmm. do you have to say it again? This is not me saying we never have bad thoughts. We never want to curse our kids out. Cause I say some four letter words in my head. This is not the point. The point is I can catch myself. I have the tools to do that. And then hopefully they're not scarred <laughs> like for life by me being reactive to, towards them. Beautiful. I mean, really activating the wisdom and the sage. That's, I mean, that's really what I hear you saying mm-hmm. and having self-compassion because there's no perfect parent. There's no, no. perfect person and no. recognizing that we're doing the best that we can. And I think that when we have those moments where we go, whoopsie, 
that didn't go so well. Can we have a redo? Yes. And practicing that connection and that, and that rebuilding yes. um, of either broken agreements or moments of frustration, but that rebuilding and that yes. connection again is so important. And yes, you know, I joke that I survived being parented in the seventies and eighties and, <laughs> you know, I know that some- you're alive. <laughs> How are we, sometimes you have to think about it. How did we live? Like I was a latchkey kid in kindergarten. Can you imagine this? And my mom was like, well, there was nobody to watch you. And I was going to come home an hour later. Like it was just like a matter of fact thing. And we survived, you survived. And not only did you survive, you thrived and you're this amazing person today. So maybe they weren't doing that bad of a job. Yeah, I think I, there are a lot of blessings from having that experience and growing those resiliency skills. And um, I mean, I think our kids are lucky in the sense that we're fully transparent. Like we're yes. actually having a conversation about yes. how we're healing ourselves and, yes. and they hold us to account. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. Cause especially cause I've been working a lot to, to, to do this, um, this launch and, you know, I, I try to be home when my kids are home, at least when they first arrive, get them all settled. And then sometimes I have to go back to work, but the last couple of weeks, that hasn't been the case, right? Because I've been trying to get my launch ready and my son on the way to school this morning reminded me that I have not been at home when he comes home for the last couple of days. And he called me out. And he's like, mama, you have not been home today. You're going to come home and we're going to cuddle. I have like five meetings. Guess what I did? I canceled those five meetings. And I was like, I'm going to go home and cuddle my baby. Cause at some point you recognize they're not going to want that. And two, I want him to feel like I value his opinion and I can't do it all the time, but to the extent that he wants to do it today. I'm going to make sure that happens. And again, this is not perfect parenting because I have not been a perfect parent, but I can have a perfect parent moment. And for kids, that's good enough. Mm. You don't have to be everything. You don't have to be like the most amazing mom, but I want him to feel seen and heard. And I'll make, I'll, if I have to wake up tomorrow to get some things done, I'll do that so that I can cuddle him to go to sleep. I love that he's coaching you to get back into alignment. <laughs> yes. He was like, mama, you're supposed to be home. Cause I try to do that. Cause you, uh -huh. there's something about being coming home yeah. and you're we're cooking together and you're chit chatting about your day. That is a form of self-care. If you choose to look at it that way, like, and not as a chore, especially because I do make my kids, like my daughter's making the soup for tonight and then I'll make the, the garlic bread. And I'm, you know, all of us have to play a role in our family and you're right. He, kids have an uncanny way of calling you out and putting things back in perspective. If you're willing to listen to them. Mm. And your cat, see oh, and your cat, cat and your kids, they learn these amazing things. From oh, you. I, I mean, or I'm learning from them. I mean, that's the, I mean, how I choose to look at it. Like, I feel like, you know, God puts everybody in your path. Like, like you and I have been, have been Facebook friends and going like, there's a reason for that. Right. Cause I learn from you. Maybe you're learning from me who the heck knows or learning what not to do maybe. Um, and then we're all learning and growing from each other. And 
that is really what a society is supposed to be, right? We weren't meant to be in these individual silos. We were meant to be a small parts of a, of a broader community. And I feel like we're kind of moving away from that. And in moving away from that, we're, we're having this feelings of being untethered, uh, you know, of emptiness, because we're not meant to be by ourselves, we're meant to be collaborative and, and cooperative and, you know, and have that touch. I think that's why COVID in this quarantine has been so terrible for people because the, the, the basic, like that's our basic human need is community and love and, and we're not necessarily getting that. Mm. I love the image of untethered because it evokes the emotion of not being anchored yes. to what's important yes. and kind of drifting and floating away and being distracted. Yes. yes. So I love the invitation to come yeah. back to what's important and to exactly. root down. Yeah. And that's what it is. And at, at its core, it's your relationships. That's Amen, the sister. I mean, <laughs> seriously, it's, it's if you don't have, you can have an amazing work life, right? Or let's say you have an amazing body. I don't, I've had four kids and a C-section, not fun. Right. But if you, but you still can feel whole and complete if the relationships that matter, if you're connected with them and, and you have to work at that connection, it doesn't happen naturally. Right. If my, if my, my husband and I, like I've been working a lot, like that's maybe why I was grumpy with him and why he's grumpy with me. And then I literally this morning was like, I'm going to bring you some tea. We're going to chit chat. Just that small moment of connection can really change um, the perception of the day. So I just feel like it's these micro moments of happiness that kind of add up that they don't have to be these huge things, you know, and, and that's what I feel like as a community, as a society, we're losing sight of, and that is ultimately what spirituality and, and, and these types of things bring back to me the alignment that this is the most important thing. I agree wholeheartedly. And I love that you said yes, because I feel connected to you in this conversation. I know. I can't wait to come and see you. I was like, one day I'm going to be able to go on a plane again. And then I'm going to go see Kristen and maybe get a massage from her, even though I've never really had a massage before. Um, and I'm getting over that. I'm working on that. And, um, I, I just, I love that you reached out and I love that we can have this conversation and honestly would love to have future conversations with you. And if maybe bring you on board with Emerge too, at some point, if we have, you know, a West coast mm -hmm. um, presence at some time. That'd be so cool. I'm, I'm dreaming at some point that maybe we'll have a women's retreat for mm -hmm. mamas. That'd be amazing. It's in the works. So the fact that you're saying that so you put it out in the universe. I'm going to text you say, guess what? This is what we're doing. Cause we really need it. I mean, we've, you know, COVID, I think, uh, really emphasized the, the load, the emotional and physical load that mothers carry for their families. Um, even my husband helps. I mean, like I loved him. I left the house this morning. and was doing the dishes. So, I mean, most, you know, second generation, first generation Indian men don't do that. And he was like, you're going to work. I'm home. I'll do that. Um, even though I really hate how he loads the dishwasher, but he was like, just say thank you. And it gets cleaned. And I'm like, you're right about that. But I feel like 
it's still the emotional load of thinking about the family, making sure everything's done. Like all of that falls on the mom and they, we need our support and we need to support them. And I think you're doing that with your work. I hope that I can do that with my work. Um, because mothers are really, to me, the, the heart of the household, whether we want to admit it or not. And I just, I feel like the most, the more support they can have, the better. Oh, love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for making time today. And I thank hope you your family um, fully recovers from COVID and that you stay safe and well. I know. I thank you. Thank you too. And I really look forward, like, I'm not joking. It's a sincere thing. I really look forward to meeting you in person one day and, you know, wish you luck with everything that you do. And I just can't wait um, to see the things that you're going to do in this world. Thank you so much.